Uh, good evening, everyone. And thank you, Paul, and everyone else. Question on the screen. Uh, how do you approach God? Or how should you approach God in, in worship? How should you approach God to worship? Or in prayer? Or in praise? Or as you prepare to listen to his word or prepare to read his word? How did you approach tonight? How did you approach tonight? Uh, the title of, of this series, for anyone visiting, uh, is, is Up Close and Personal. And we've called it that because in the book of Exodus, and that's the book we're working our way through, in the book of Exodus and the story we find there, we discover a God who, who approaches people and makes himself known. And makes himself known in all kinds of different ways. So via a burning bush, or in a name, I am who I am. He makes himself known in a pillar of cloud and fire as he leads. He makes himself known via 10 kind of dramatic and very disturbing plagues. He makes himself known through intervention at the Red Sea, through the miraculous provision of food and manna and water from a rock. And God makes himself known. Why? Because God wants to be known. He longs for relationship, for connection, for, for interaction with people. But as we come to Exodus 19, which is where we've reached, we discover a God who, who seems unapproachable. A God who is beyond knowing. A, a God who, who causes mountains to shake and people to tremble whenever they get anywhere near him. A God who warns that, that if people or animals, for that matter, get too close to him, they could die. A God who appears in a dense cloud that's kind of crackling with thunder and lightning. A God who demands that if people do want to come near, then they've got to make significant personal preparation. And therefore, at one level, a quick read of Exodus 19 gives the distinct impression that God actually doesn't want to be known. God doesn't want to be approached. But at another level, a closer and more careful reading of this chapter confirms that knowing this God, approaching this God is incredibly serious. It's awe-inspiring. It's a kind of almost out of this world experience, privilege, actually, possibility. Maybe Exodus 19 is evidence for, or it's a reminder that reverence before God is absolutely essential. That casual acquaintance with God is, is out of the question. Maybe this text of scripture forces us to think like no other about how we come to God as the Almighty as opposed to the Almighty. Exodus 19 is a powerful chapter in so many ways. And, and we're going to take time to read it together tonight. We haven't really been doing kind of a big reading on Sunday nights recently, but we're, we're going to do a big reading tonight. Because it is a chapter that throws up all kinds of questions about how you approach God. How do you fear God and yet not be afraid of him? Is it possible to be close friend? To be, is it possible to be a friend, never mind a close friend, with a powerful deity? How do you experience intimacy and closeness whilst maintaining total respect and complete wonder? 
How do you approach someone who seems to be unapproachable? How do you draw near to the living God who is, as Hebrews 12 confirms, drawing on language from Exodus 19? How do you draw near to a God who's a consuming fire? How do you get close enough without getting burnt? How can flawed human beings relate to a holy divine being? Those are the kind of questions that Exodus 19 kind of raises and prompts. And so, if you don't mind and you're okay and you're able to, let's, let's stand for the public reading of God's Word. It's page 76 in these red pew Bibles. And as I say, I'm going to take time to read the chapter and I hope that's okay. Uh, if you do need to sit down at any point, please, please do so. Exodus 19. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt on the very day, they came to the desert of Sinai, and after they had set out for Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Make them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him, whether man or animal. He shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they go up the mountain. And after Moses has gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. And then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder, there was lightning, there was a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder and then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. And so Moses went up and the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people that they are not to force their way through to see the Lord and many, or many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you, but the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, grab a seat. 
uh, I, I know as we, as we get into this, it's, it's, it's kind of stating the obvious, but one of the things that you, we've really got to take on board as we get, get into this is the fact that God initiates this whole thing. The chapter starts with God speaking to Moses and, and telling him what he is to say to the people. God is driving this whole thing. God is reaching out. God doesn't want to remain distant. He's the one who's coming down. He is the one who approaches people. He is the one who speaks. He is the one who reveals what he's done for his people. And also he reveals how he feels about his people. As we all know, Exodus 19 comes before Exodus 20. It's smart, isn't it? Exodus 19 comes before Exodus 20. And that's, we all know what Exodus 20 is. Exodus 20 is the famous chapter. It's the time whenever we read about God giving the Ten Commandments and then after that, the subsequently, the law. But before God, and this is, so, this, is, this is really important for us to get, before God sets boundaries regarding how to live, before God presents a moral code, God saves and rescues his people. That, that, that's the order it comes in. Look at verse 4 and how God describes what he has done. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, but here's what I did for you. How I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. You see, relationship with God, reconnection, and the ability to approach and to be with God is only possible because God has come to us. It's the only reason it's possible. Because God has saved and liberated us. Like the Israelites, we have done nothing to deserve this nor earn this privilege. But God, like an eagle, he says, has swooped down. I love this imagery. We've done nothing to deserve this. The Israelites did nothing to deserve this, but God swooped down, he says, and rescued, carried us, carried them to himself. So God's taken the lead. God has taken the initiative. And God had actually promised he would do this. This isn't the first time Moses finds himself at this mountain. Back in Exodus 3, those of you who've been following this series, God was there at that burning bush in the shadow of this mountain, in the shadow of Sinai, and Moses was hearing how God was saying to him, listen, one day the Israelites are going to be set free and you, and this is the plural you, you're all going to come back to this mountain and worship me. And here in Exodus 19, they have arrived. They're at the place God said they would be, would be and they're about to do exactly what God said they would do. But the important thing is it's all God. He has brought them here. He has led them here. He has made this possible. It's all grace. And the only reason we can even contemplate approaching God, the only reason we can contemplate a relationship with God is because he's come to us. He has approached us. In Ephesians 2, and many of you will hopefully remember this from our recent Sunday morning series, but in chapter 2 of Ephesians, it's made really clear our condition. It says you were dead in your sin. In fact, you were enslaved. Not like the Israelites, although there's connections here. Not like the Israelites, literally, but you were enslaved by your sin. And then it, Paul goes on to say, but because. Not because of a single thing you have done. In the same way, not because of a single thing the Israelites did. But because of his great love. God, who is rich in mercy, he has made us alive. He has saved us. He has rescued us. He has raised us up 
with Christ. Again, this imagery of being raised up like an eagle's wings. So we can come to God. We can approach God. Why? Because God has come to us. He swooped down and rescued us. And here at the beginning of Exodus 19, Moses is reminding the Israelites of this truth. Or God, through Moses, is reminding the Israelites of this truth. Just before we, we leave the kind of eagle imagery, it's, it's probably worth making the point that eagle's wings in Scripture are, are often used to communicate God's ongoing care. So even Moses in Deuteronomy 32, when he's singing about God's love, he includes this lyric, he shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. God has done this for you. God does this for you. But back to the text, because God then describes the people he has rescued, and he describes them in three striking ways. He says, you see, if you obey me and you keep my covenant, the one I'm going to give to you, here's who you are to me. You will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, this is startling, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And again, for those of you following First Peter, hopefully you're making the connections to our current Sunday morning series, because in First Peter chapter 2, isn't this exactly how the apostle Peter describes us? But you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are God's special or treasured possession. You see, this is how God viewed the people of Israel in Exodus 19, and this is how God views us. And why? Because God has come. God has swooped down. God has rescued. It's all God. It's all grace. Whole earth is the Lord's, but you're special. You're special. And therefore, as we think about how we approach God, and as I go back to that question at the start, how do you approach it? As we think about approaching God, we need to come at this from the awareness that it's only doable, it's only possible, it is only our privilege because God has approached us. He has taken the initiative. He has brought us to himself. And the Israelites needed to be reminded of this, and so do I. So do I. Now, whenever Moses does remind people of this fact, and whenever he tells them, listen, if, if you obey, if you keep this covenant that God's going to give you, you'll be his treasure possessed, the kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Look at what verse 8, and we read it together, says, what did the people all unite together in one voice and say, we will do everything. We will do everything the Lord has said, which is an absolutely critical aspect of approaching God. We must come with obedient hearts. We must come in humble submission. We must come and surrender. How do you approach God? You approach God with a willingness to obey. And is that our posture tonight? Is that our posture? And so having declared this to Moses, Moses then takes this word back to God and said, this is what the people have said. And then God tells Moses that he is going to come to him and I'm going to talk with you, Moses, and I'm going to talk with you within earshot of all the people, so all the people are going to hear us communicating. My voice is going to ring out across the plain in the shadow of this mountain. And if you jump down to verse 19, you will see, and we read together how this conversation did in fact take place, although do you know what's really interesting? We have no clue what they talked about. We have no clue 
what they said, what God and Moses said in this exchange. But maybe that's not the point. The point is there is communication. There is dialogue. There is relationship. And the key to any good relationship is communication. And therefore, again, what we're learning, what we're discovering is this. God wants to be known. God doesn't simply save the Israelites from sin and slavery. He saves them for something. He saves them for a relationship, a two-way relationship, which involves speaking and listening. He saves them so that they can enjoy his presence. I love, I love the way the Puritans talk about the Christian life. They talk about it as a union and communion. And what they, what they stress is that our union with God is all down to God. It's all grace. It's by God's grace. That was how God rescued the Israelites. It's how God rescues us in Christ, by grace. Our union is all God's doing. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. We contribute nothing to it. But then union leads to communion. And communion is a two-way thing. It's a two-way relationship with the Almighty God, who's now our Father. We speak, we listen. He speaks, He listens. Union and communion, and I find that helpful. But back to our text, and back up to verse 10, because as God then promises to come down on this mountain in the sight of the people, He makes it clear, do you know something? The people are going to need to be prepared. And Moses, you need to go and prepare these people. They need to be consecrated. They need to be made holy. They need to be sanctified in order to approach me. And so clothes are going to need to be washed and sex is going to have to be put on hold for three days, not because sex is bad or dirty, but because of a similar idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you sometimes need to abstain from a time in order to deny yourself and be focused. And in addition to these kind of personal preparations, there were also limits. This wasn't going to be a free-for-all. And so a kind of safety barrier is erected. Not literally, but everyone is told that if anyone touches this mountain, if anyone touches this mountain where God is, they're going to be put to death. The warning is explicit, and so this, this kind of cordon is put in place. A line is drawn. And why is that line drawn? Is that line drawn to keep people away? No, it is drawn to keep people safe. It's drawn to keep people alive. And what comes across in, in these details is this profound sense of seriousness when you're dealing with the divine. This is solemn stuff. A casual approach to God isn't an option, and that's got nothing to do with dress code. By casual, I mean, if, if you look up at the sort, by casual, I mean careless or offhand or without serious intention, or indifferent, or apathetic, or unconcerned, or flippant, or nonchalant. That, that kind of approach to God is just not an option. At least according to Exodus 19. God is dangerous. Or to quote Mr. Beaver in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, as he speaks to Lucy about Aslan, God isn't safe. He's not. Or to re-quote Hebrews 12, God is a consuming fire. He still is. He was in Exodus 19. He still is. 
Let me quote the entire verse in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so, says the writer to Hebrews, so worship God acceptably with reverence and with awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And as I say, he still is. And Tim Chester, and I know some of you have read his, his popular commentary on Exodus, he writes this as he reflects on the whole idea of consecration and being prepared and the need to set limits. He says it's as if the holiness of God is nuclear. If you want to approach a nuclear reactor, then you must put on protective clothing. And even then, you must not get too close. In the same way, if the people want to approach God, they must come prepared through consecration, and even then, they mustn't come too close. You see, casual, it's just not an option. And again, this type of preparation isn't just, and I think this is where, it isn't just an Exodus 19 thing. In order for anyone to approach and meet with God, there must be preparation. Let me give you two more examples from Scripture, one from the Psalter, one from the New Testament. Psalm 24 says this, For who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may go into God's presence? Who may meet with God? Who shall stand in his holy place? And what's the answer? Those with what? Clean hands and a pure heart. And then listen to the Apostle James as he writes about drawing near to God. Come near to God and he will come near to you. But wash your hands. Purify your hearts. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And again, here in the New Testament, coming to God, it's about clean hands, it's about pure hearts, it's about taking sin seriously, it's about grieving over it if necessary, it's about humility, it's about recognizing who you are before a holy, powerful, and an almighty God. See, how we approach God, how we have approached God tonight, really matters. And so we approach with a willingness to obey, and with a commitment to holiness. If we go back to the text, we assume the people did approach as instructed. The people were prepared. Their clothes were clean. Their minds were focused. And we can assume that because God does come down on the third day. And I know there's probably some comment to make about the idea he came down on the third day. But I'm not going to make it. God does come down on the third day and there's thunder and there's lightning and there's a dense cloud and there's trumpet blasts and how do the people react to the presence of God? Verse 16, everyone in the camp trembled. Everyone in the camp trembled. If you have the Bible open, flick forward to Exodus 20. And you'll notice that just after the Ten Commandments are given, we read that the people saw the thunder, they saw the lightning, they heard the trumpets, and they saw the mountain in smoke. In other words, again, they realized that God was there, and the exact same reaction follows. They trembled with fear. 
And how does Moses respond in chapter 20? Because I find this fascinating. He says to him, listen, don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will keep you from sinning. And you see what effectively Moses is saying here is this. Don't be afraid of feeling fear because fear is the right response to God. Don't be afraid of feeling fear because fear is the right response to God. And it is. And if we ever lose that or if we've lost that, then we've got to recover. Now, we're not talking about a terrorizing, paralyzing fear, but a fear that creates, that engenders, that produces a deep respect in the presence of a holy God. A fear that creates, that engenders, that produces a deep respect in the presence of a holy God. And Exodus 19 is a chapter that helps us to get to that place. So how should we approach God? We should approach God with a willingness to obey. God, we will do everything you've said. We approach God with a commitment to holiness. We consecrate ourselves. We prepare ourselves. Clean hands, pure hearts, all of that. Focused minds. And we come, we approach God with a deep respect for his presence, or rather, we approach God with fear and trembling. And as I finish, I do need to make an important comment on Moses, because I realize that throughout this chapter, Moses stands as a mediator between God and his people. He approaches God on their behalf. He speaks to God on their behalf. He hears from God on their behalf. He, if you like, stands in this gap between a holy God and sinful people. And as we all know, Jesus is our mediator. And so Paul writes to Timothy and says, there's just one mediator now between God and human beings. And that's the man, Jesus Christ. And so God no longer only meets us on specific mountains where lightning flashes and thunder roars and ground shakes, but he meets us and we meet him in Jesus through his life, through his death, through his res resurrection. We can engage in a relationship with a holy God, a new relationship that, yes, enables us to call him our father. But does that mean that we no longer need to approach God in obedience, holiness, and fear. Does it? I'm not sure it does. Because our Father who is in heaven, we still need to pray, hallowed be your name. God's still dangerous. God is still holy. God is still righteous. God is still powerful. God still isn't safe and therefore, as we come to him personally and individually and corporately, as we come to him in church, as we come to him in worship, as we come to him in prayer, as we come to him in small groups, as we come to him at communion, as we come to him in service, we still need to come before him in obedience and in holiness and in fear. And so let me ask you, as I've been asking myself, how did you approach God tonight? Let me suggest, every time you do, and I know we do all the time, but every time before a service, before you sit down to read and pray, whenever, ask yourself, am I coming before God in these three ways? At the desert of Sinai, in front of a mountain, the people approached God exactly like this, and nothing was ever the same again.